Well, hey, uh, welcome back to another episode of Eat, Pray, Judge. As always, it's Gabe Pacheco, and I'm joined by Sammy Hamarne. And today on the pod, we have a very special guest, a return guest, in fact, Alex Shannon from the Ridiculous People podcast. And uh, I'm so thrilled, Alex, to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Friendly faces. <laughs> so good to see you guys. <laughs> Yeah, even if it's through Zoom, it feels yeah. it's nice to have a human connection. It's still something, it man. <laughs> it is. I also feel like during this weird kind of like phase three or whatever we're at is like people are slowing down on the Zoom stuff, but we're still not seeing each other. So it's like weirdly the same. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's weirdly similar to like the beginning of the of the pandemic. Yeah, I feel like phase three is just like a, it's, it doesn't even mean anything because nothing's changed really, except for people outdoor dining, I guess, which is bizarre right. to watch. But yeah. But, uh, no, I get cool. I get it, uh, Alex. Like when this first started, though, if people FaceTime me or wanted to Zoom, I was really eager to connect. And now, yeah. uh, even though my life is not necessarily busier in terms of work, I do, uh, <laughs> I don't pick up the phone sometimes. <laughs> You know, I, yeah. I feel like uh, I'm, I'm okay being um, more isolated uh, just in my, in my room. With but you're my, just like settling in. I'm settled in. I'm hunkered <laughs> okay. down. I'm bunkered down. I'm building my own sure. citadel. Love and, that uh, with, my, with my Muji diffuser and my galaxy light <laughs> that I impulse bought last night uh, off of an IG story that arrived today. So how about that? You know, there is some magic to be had. <laughs> and it's weird that voting could be an issue, right? Because you can you can get a galaxy light in eight hours. That's so true. <laughs> somehow, and yet. Somehow, somehow voting might be a problem. Mm, yeah. All uh, those pesky inalienable rights. <laughs> boy. Yeah. Oh, mm. that ballot just got uh, held for a, a month in transit. <laughs> it kind right. of looks like Alex is taking like grade school uh, year yearbook pictures. You just need like a parent Mom? with like a feathered haircut behind you with their hand on your shoulder. Mom, is everything okay? <laughs> so uh, we're really excited to have you today, Alex, because you picked one of at one of my favorite films of the last decade uh, to cover today, Mad Max Fury Road, that what came out in 2015. Ooh. Thank you so much for picking it. Why this <laughs> movie? I love this movie. I've loved this movie since I first was like drug along to it by my film friends. Um, and by film friends, I mean like literally we were in college and they were film majors and we were standing outside smoking of, outside of our dorm and they were like, we're going to see this movie, you're coming with us. And I was like, am I gonna like this? And Liv, who has been on the podcast before, um, was like, I think so. It's I think it's mostly going to be car chases, and she knows how I feel about car chases. That's like your, so. you love the Herbie movies. Uh, <laughs> no. You love the movie Cars. Oh, <laughs> um, I have a complicated relationship with the movie Cars because my younger brother watched it one hundred thousand times in a row when it first came out. So I am very familiar with that movie in a weird way. But yeah, I'm really into like. I, I actually prefer, like, two action movies. I prefer, like, war movies or just a straight-up roadhouse movie. Like, don't give me anything else. Like, I liked Baby Driver quite a lot. I liked 
I like Death Proof, which is one of Tarantino's like least favorite movies that he's ever made of him, like he, for him. But I you're love saying that movie. he doesn't like that movie. Yeah, he wow. says that it's his quotest weak dick movie or something. <laughs> I I I love that film. Uh, yeah, me too. It's yeah. bizarre. I love it. So you know what I really uh, the thing about Death Proof that's fantastic is the opening uh, hang with the ladies is like 25 minutes of just ladies hanging and it and you forget what type of movie you're in it's just you're a fly on the wall watching people go out to brunch and i'm like i'm in it you know i I get invested in their lives before they they get brutally killed by uh kurt russell Mm -hmm. as um who's the the stuntman mike that wants to kill everyone in his stunt car that is it's funny i had to google that because i i I wasn't familiar with the title, but I have seen it. It was part of the Grindhouse, like that. Yeah, two, the two-parter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I love that one. He cut out, he, he claims that he cut out all the other scenes that he had in there originally that were not essential to the plot, which is because yeah. there's a ton of crap in there that doesn't I feel like, really yeah, make he, a lot of sense, but He, he doesn't him, cut much, No, typically. for him. And he also went through and manually damaged the film so it looked more like B films in the 70s that were constantly being moved from theater to theater yeah. being like torn physically which I thought was really cool. I love the uh, commercial the intermission commercials I thought were so fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, by the way this is our I think our fifth or sixth collaboration with Alex. That's, that's a record that's that a world many? record because we've done we did we did Ridiculous Pod with you and Liv once we True. recorded I think two or three this might be our Oh, you guys are on our live show too. We were on the live show, so fifth. You were on our show twice. I did, I, I thought it was kind of funny that like now I get to do Fury Road with you guys because the last two times I was on this podcast, I did, well, I did Dazed and Confused, which kind of doesn't live in a genre, but then. Oh, wow, however, six, Alex, six he, goes, he goes, wait. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you brought up Dazed and Confused because Death Proof feels like Tarantino doing Link Letter in some ways. That's really funny. Yeah, I, had, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's sort of, because it's it's just people kind of wandering around this Texas landscape. And it's yeah. Like yeah. just, yeah, yeah. It is Mad Max meets Dazed and Confused. It also had that 70s uh, fashion aesthetic to it. <laughs> yes. Mad Max would... have actually a weird parallel to Dazed and Confused that I was kind of thinking about when I was watching it last night. <clears throat> For the first time I, I was thinking about it, um, but uh, what I was saying before was that normally I come on here and I defend rom-coms that people don't really like. <laughs> so it's fun to be here being like, I also like to watch it explode sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, we've done what? We've done Pretty Woman, yeah. uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. Yep. Dazed and Confused. That's correct. Yeah. We've done a lot of these. Was this your first Mad Max film? This was, um, when I first saw it, when it came out in theaters, it was my, it still is. I haven't seen any of the other ones and I don't really care. Can I say that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kind of like, this movie is great. It stands on its own. Um, it feels like it has the energy of like, there is a myth here. There's like a mythos. There's like a whole world. But I feel like that word, that world building really kind of stands on its own in it too. Um, yeah. but yeah, I've seen this movie, like, tw- this must've been like my 20th time watching it last wow. night, but 
at, but like I've never seen any other Mad Max stuff. So that's so I, cool to hear. <laughs> I, I was wondering when you did see it, did you feel lost in the first like minute or two? Like, where are we? What is happening? Or do you feel like this movie stands on its own completely where you don't really need a backstory? Yeah, I feel like it, it did a really good job in the first couple minutes. It's like a soundscape that's happening. And I mean, all you really need to know is like, it's dystopian and there's this <laughs> and it's Matt and he's Mad Max. I mean, it's the title of the thing. And then you see a guy and you're like, well, here we go. You know what I mean? He's standing next to his car and he's like feeling guilty about what he could have done to save the end of the world. And like, that's all I really needed to know. And that's kind of like, given to you by like little random lines of like the earth went sour and like there were wars on water and you know like yeah it's like the bullet points of the armageddon yeah Yeah. (laughs) or like the credit the role of like text at the top of a star wars movie that's what it felt like but like audio yeah very cool and uh so okay it's good to hear like this is your jump off point into the whole mad max universe and um I, I can say, like, for me, my history with Mad Max is I saw the the very first one, uh, young Mel Gibson, and I'm old enough that uh, when I saw it, that came out in uh, 79, so I didn't see it when it came out, but I saw it, like, in the early 80s, VHS copy, and this was before Mel Gibson was a star in the U.S., right? A Lethal Weapon, I think, was his, when he became an international star, so he was kind of a no-name, just young actor, in australia for that first film but i loved i loved that movie and i thought about that a lot because i was a he was like um he had like a young kid in it and a and a young wife and he's young and it reminded me of like before my brother was born i would watch that movie with my dad on the couch and be like oh it's like good old days (laughs) right in the good old child Totally. And uh, I think I still like cops were still okay in my mind back then. And he's a highway (laughs) police officer around the same time that the show Chips was on TV. So I'm like, okay, highway cop, Chips, these are good guys. So I've watched all of the Mad Max films. And one thing that's beautiful to see an artist do is that George Miller directed all of them. So it's the same director and creator of the series. And you see him evolve. Um, both as a filmmaker and also in his sort of political sensibility from 1979 to 2015, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's a super progressive dude. Yeah. Didn't his, didn't his cinematographer come out of retirement for this? He did. Yeah. Oh, wow. And he's like old as hell. (laughs) He was apparently like an old ass man, just like riding backwards through the deserts, getting these Uh, shots. That's like amazing to me. I imagine I was... the the Joe Biden meme where like uh, he's in the Corvette and he's like, "Get in, we've got to make another Mad Max movie." <laughs> yeah, like basically. Mm-hmm. Sam, how about you? Were you a a, a Mad Max head? Um, no, you know, again, not a not a huge science fiction guy. I've seen pieces of the first two or three on like the Sunday matinees as a kid. You know, they were always playing on like Fox Five when I was younger, mm. so I'd seen clips, and it always seemed weird and you know, <laughs> sort of like 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 you know, a saddish future. So I just didn't pay pay too much attention. But um, this was the first uh, movie that I saw in the theater alone. Oh wow! Oh. Twenty fifteen, yeah. Wow. 
took me a long time to pull the trigger on that one. But what happened? Why? It. What was the context of you going to a solo movie? <laughs> I think um, my girlfriend at the time was out of town and I had nothing to do. And I was like, that looks interesting. And I just kind of, it was like a, you know, summer day, summer night in, in, in Williamsburg. And I wanted to check out the Williamsburg cinema. I think it was my first time going to the cinema there. Um, Seen a lot of stuff there. Yeah, I actually really yeah. like it. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great theater, um, especially to have in this neighborhood. Um, but yeah, this was, and, and I sort of go on the point of like, I, I think that it operates as a standalone because it, they, they were so far apart and in order to market it to like a new, you know, audience, you kind of yeah. have to make it a little on the standalone side. Um, but it, it was, um, yeah, I, the first 15 minutes of that film, like my jaw dropped when I was watching it. Everyone in the theater yeah. was silent. I couldn't really tell if everyone, like, you know, what everyone's sort of perception was, but it was it, like in the, the most incredible 15 minute opening of a movie I've ever seen, honestly. Oh my God, yeah. I've never seen anything quite like it. The phonetic pace, the filming, like the, yeah. Well, I mean, we can get into all of that, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, to jump on the bandwagon, I, I, this, is, this might be actually my favorite action movie of, of all time. Um, in every aspect. That's actually. awesome. Yeah, and I hadn't seen it since then, because when I, movies like that, like when it comes to something I like that much, I don't watch it. Like unless it's like a dumb comedy or Top Gun when I was like seven, <laughs> I don't watch it just to kind of keep it sort of fresh. And then I put it on last night, uh, and I was thrilled. I, I like I forgot how how fucking good it was. But yeah, yeah. so so thanks again, Alex. You're welcome. <laughs> Next time collaborator, Alex Shannon. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it totally. So... <laughs> yeah, totally holds up four years later. That's, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, to jump into a quick summary for anybody that doesn't know about the Mad Max uh, canon That's or universe, movie. he was a yeah. highway patrol cop in Australia. And if you and when I saw the first Mad Max movie, I thought that that's what Australia was really like. I just thought it was totally. Like, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, they just have roving oh, biker no. gangs everywhere. And it's uh, so the theme of the movie is kind of that we're at the end of civilization. Apocalypse is is coming, but apocalypse doesn't happen all at once. It's kind mm -hmm. of like the world's ended, but civilization is slowly receding. So in the first film, he there still is a police force. It just has 10 people rather than mm. being a robust, uh, like bureaucratic institution. And there's yeah. still towns. Yeah, so there's roving gangs outside of each town and uh, his family gets killed and he goes crazy and goes into the forbidden zone, hence the name Mad Max. So every film after that is just him as a scavenger wandering the wasteland and being a reluctant hero and that's kind of where we start off with fury road which is the only backstory you really need for uh the yeah, beginning of this he movie. once had a family <laughs> that's right and he's yeah. driven mad by guilt and ptsd and he doesn't care about being a hero he doesn't care about society he just wants to eat lizards in the wasteland and find gasoline for his super cool car yeah yeah <laughs> he's he's given up. He's jaded, dejected. He's all of it. So yeah. uh, we start the film off being introduced to this really cool uh, new civilization, the <laughs> Citadel. <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what? How did you guys feel about Immortan Joe's Citadel? 
I mean, I love, I love how immediately, like, he just gets sucked in to show each almost level. Like, they just kind of, I mean, very aggressively and rapidly show you each level of, like, the society and, like, different aspects of what the hell's going on. And it's, like, very vivid, like, mythological level stuff going on. So I, like, I loved it. And also the frame rate is, like, wrong. So everybody's a little jumpy, like, in old-timey footage, which also adds to, like, the anxiety of it all. <laughs> like Yeah, the pacing, too. Yeah, he's immediately, just... like, captured by the war boys. They're all in war paint. They're tattooing him on his back. They're, like, going to brand his face. It's, like... So, <laughs> I mean, I thought it was just... It, it like, punches you in the face. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like yeah exactly right. Yeah, uh, the frame rate thing. It, it's a. Uh, it it feels like from Mad Max's POV. Uh, he's insane, yeah. and yeah. so everything is coming at you from his perspective. And I I was watching another video on YouTube that talked about why this works because a lot of action movies do jump cuts <laughs> and they're too frenetic. So you as the audience are disoriented. But in this film they intentionally had all the action in the center of the frame. So no matter how frenetic the pace is, you don't have to do a lot of work with your eyes. You don't have to move. Oh, that's interesting. I never you noticed know? that. Which <laughs> is really helpful. It's like we're always in the eye of the storm and the main action is always in the center of the frame. So, I mean, again, this is just brilliant directing for a movie like this. Yeah. I mean, this movie won yeah. six Oscars, all on like the technical side and production design, and even like <laughs> you know, yeah, and for for good reason. Um, I was kind of surprised to learn that only like eighty percent of the film was not they only used CGI like sparingly, and yeah. it was only done to like recreate a little bit of the landscape, like the Namibian uh, landscape, which I thought was incredible. Yeah, and like the one shot where like the parts of the car are flying directly at you and over your head, right? But otherwise, like almost all of the chase and explosions were done practically and like you can watch some of the behind the scenes footage on YouTube which Gabe I'm sure you've seen but I highly recommend looking that up to see like seeing how they're shooting it from like just the sidelines and watching the cameras just like burst through the desert and things exploding I mean it's amazing yeah, yeah I, th I think they had a it was like kind of noted that Tom Hardy had a difficult relationship with George Miller during the filming and Charlize Theron they said he was like grumpy and didn't really he couldn't grasp everything. And when he actually saw the finished product, he like uh, apologized to them because he had no idea what the vision was like. He's like, everything seemed insane to me. I didn't know what was happening. And then he's That's... like, I knew the guy was brilliant, but I didn't realize how brilliant George Miller mm. really was. I mean, not to mention like the, the editor who I think was his wife, George Miller's wife, she had to edit 470 yeah. hours of footage. Oh which God. is which yeah. is crazy. A, a labor of love yeah yes. and yeah. you know what's I mean, what's ironic about what you're saying with tom hardy uh questioning george miller is uh we covered another movie on this the witches of eastwick and uh okay. george, george miller directed that film and he almost walked away from it because he he didn't know what it would look like after editing he thought it was a big mess oh and weird you hear about his directing a younger jack nicholson told him, chill, trust the process. <laughs> it's all going to work out. Over a couple of lines. <laughs> Listen, man. Right. You just need a bump. <laughs> hey, man, look, uh, look, you need to unwind. Come to this Lakers game with me. I've got front row seats, baby. 
Oh my and God. uh and yeah and he helped him decompress and it and we loved witches of eastwick on the pod so it worked out i've heard i've also heard in general um specifically weirdly enough because i got really into the movie honey boy uh which is the shia labeouf movie that he like was based on his like therapy memoir um but he said that when he worked with tom hardy that like tom hardy is like mucho macho man takes over the set when he walks on kind of a thing and something like that he couldn't do that with and also he's not really the main character like we really should be talking about furiosa yeah yeah we're like definitely gonna get into of the that. movie so i think that part of me automatically goes like he probably was pissed off He's like, why am I not talking that much? Why am I not in the center of the action? Like, what's going on with all of... It's just chasing after chasing. I just think that Tom Hardy was probably insecure about the fact that he was not at the center of this movie, even though he was playing Mad Max in a lot of ways. And that's, like, the point. <laughs> I, uh, right. So I was... Get, the theme of this film, to me, is, like... um sort of extreme, an extreme version of patriarchy, then in opposition to a, a radical revolutionary version of feminism. Not that like, not inter or not feminism's the wrong word, matriarchy. And then it is the synthesis of those two uh, at the end. And it is Mad Max and Furiosa are equal protagonists. And I think that for the films that came prior to this, Mad Max was the sole protagonist. And you're absolutely right that we're we're gonna bring Charlize Theron up because she represents that. She, she is the new protagonist in this film. She's taking the mantle from Max. Yeah. I and, think that that's, yeah. that's a great characterization of like extreme patriarchy. I, I would have probably described it as like, what happens when there is a total rejection of anything feminine. So like anything vulnerable or soft or feminine is like locked away, rejected, shoved into literally a high tower somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's literally I, broken down into like a need for procreation and that's it. It's like the-, the Yeah, well, and just it. like the fact that like, it's like a total rejection of any femininity within the men as well. So like, there's no vulnerability, there's no questioning, there's only screaming and witness me and chrome in your face, metalhead, cars, that's it, you yeah. know? And hiding away like the nourishing aspects of society. And uh, that's why I wanted to talk about the Citadel a little bit because yeah. it, is, it is, I'm reading a book right now called The Four Futures. And it's about, you know, what happens in a world post scarcity, like, mm -hmm. or rather when we have full automation. And so we're gonna have excess people, right? And there are four possible futures and there's like a communist future, there is a socialist future, a rentalist future, which we pretty much live in most of the time, uh, where you have a small number of people that own all of the intellectual properties and we, we use their patterns, hence yeah. our uh, Amazon Prime subscriptions. And then there's the exterminist future, which is kind of this, it's a scarcity-based society where you have a small elite and everyone else is just fodder for that very small elite. Sounds and, super familiar. Right. It's, it is this. It is a Morton Joe's um, Citadel where 
uh, you basically have extreme views on private property. The first thing that happens to Max is that he's kidnapped and he is harvested for his blood. Uh, he's going to be branded. Every other person in the Citadel is branded with Immortan Joe's brand. So they're all his property. And uh, there's, no co there's no communal anything. There's one owner. And um, anything that people get is through his benevolence and charity. So the water being poured down is, uh, is our... You know, it's our twelve hundred dollar pandemic check. <laughs> yeah, and he noticed he also goes like, "Don't like in the very beginning after he turns it off, they all start screaming and beating each other." <laughs> he goes like, "Don't get addicted to the water." <laughs> it's like, I, was, I was getting it's heavy like healthcare. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right, sure you'll resent point. its loss. <laughs> I was getting heavy uh, early pandemic vibes, but instead of water, it was toilet paper and Clorox wipes yeah. <laughs> exactly. rationed out. Yeah, um, yeah. He's he's an old sickly dude who um at one point, you know, I was like just re there's a comic book about the backstory and stuff, but you see that he puts that breastplate on and it mm -hmm. has it has uh, military honors on it. So at one point Immortan Joe was probably a general or a soldier in the army who yeah. took this uh this small oasis of resources mm -hmm. and he may have at one point been a hero who then became a tyrant. You know, he, all of these, like he had to take this, this space and right. he did create a, uh, he's just a terrible urban planner, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he, he's a, he's a guy that was probably a good warrior, a warlord, uh, who should not have been put in charge of, um, uh, the, the planning of society. So like a Colonel Kurtz is what you're saying? Yeah, like he's the heart of darkness guy that like w has been around too long and sure. um, didn't set up a, a democratic council to take his place, right? He, no. he, he's coveting these women uh, who he keeps as his breeders because mm -hmm. it, he has no heir, right? He's got two sons, the, the, nope. big, the, the little blobby guy who's really smart but has no body, unfortunately, and then Rictus, who's like a giant who... who who just has like little doll heads as necklaces around his, you know. And he has, and he has uh, a canola of oxygen. So he also has breathing problems and is dumb as a rock. <laughs> so right. like, it's like the, he's got, it's like Pinky and the brain over here are like <laughs> right. the sons that he wishes he didn't have. Yeah. And that he, you know, wants more of somehow. That's right. Um, That's right. And he's I also have a working, yeah, yeah, I have a working theory that Furiosa was once uh, a breeder, was yeah. once one of well, the guides. Yeah, I was yeah. reading up a little bit on it. They actually stated that she was that and then demonstrated sort of a, a, a grittier, you know, being and she turned into a warrior from there. Yeah, I have right. a feeling that she was- Oh, she was barren, sorry, that's what it was. That she was barren, interesting. She was barren, yeah. Because my my working fan theory was that like she was disobedient and hence the loss of the arm, but then also like you're then not a pristine creature to me anymore. Mm. And she you know demonstrates yep. grit and then loyalty after that and becomes his like second in command general. Yeah. That's yeah. a better theory. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just says it, what I what I read was I'm just basically it. that you are. <laughs> you definitely are. Yeah, it just said that she was uh, brought on to be a breeder and then 
was barren and then proved whatever worth in, in combat and then lost her arm in one of the battles for okay. Morton Joe. Yeah, uh, I think he is a terrible delegator of authority yeah. in keeping Furiosa around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's uh yeah, you don't you don't keep around somebody that hates you as your uh as your number one uh war chief. Um she seems like she was a pretty good actor before this very moment though. I mean, sure. we're seeing that sort of totalitarianism playing out in real life right now, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> you just fire them and then they go to jail or you know. they go to the gas town. I also am like very interested in like these other city like these other cities that have a rise. Hello? Yeah. Hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Sammy is now waving and frozen. Oh, you back? Are you back, Sam? I can hear you. Yeah, I was moving the whole time, I think, so I don't know. Oh, Oh, I mean, you had your hand up, so. Uh, Hello? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Can you guys hear me? I can yeah. hear you. Yep. Yeah, Sam. Was it me that froze? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, so funny. Yeah, we're all good. We can hear each other okay right now. Interesting. I mean, I can't see you now, but I can hear you fine. Yeah, it might help for a little while if you have uh, yeah, sure. your video off. It was just it's for some reason my my the first time ever the internet connection was because I made fun of your your connection game. Yeah. Also, the internet gods are not benevolent. Also, uh, chatting helps too. You can also chat if you need to say something. uh, (laughs) If I can't see you now, like in the um chat box. Doing it again, huh? Uh huh. I'm gonna okay. Let's see if I can figure out what time code this is. Chat. Okay. Poor Gabe, you probably have such a so much longer of a post production now. Yeah, it fucking sucks. So, um, this god. is gonna suck. My god. <laughs> so awesome. I, I love just start all over. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, in a park. Okay. I just need to figure out where we uh, left off. That's all that. Really I can matters. talk about the different. I I think I was talking about the different. I'm interested in the different other Citadel things yeah great okay so uh, yeah. uh, uh with a punch start with that um i'm also really interested in these other like societies that they have going on um that they call the bullet farm and gas town where the guzzoline comes from <laughs> i just like really loved the vernacular that they are throwing around for everything and you kind of see the one other leader that has like really bulbous like rotting feet and like no nose and nipple clamps on through his um blazer <laughs> yeah he's spicy he's he's got <laughs> he's a spicy uh, guy he's got an alternative lifestyle and i'm into it i'm here for it um George Miller has done a great job throughout the films, uh, sort of showcasing a more gender fluidity, if not in villains. Uh, well, mostly in villains, but well, I mean, Furiosa <laughs> is like pretty like living yeah. her life, like definitely a woman, but definitely on like the more masculine sides of things sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
And I think in the earlier films, there was more of um, more of the violence was focused primarily, not primarily on women, but women had less agency. Mm. So they were more, more just the victims. Um, And he has said, George Miller has kind of said that over time, uh, his filmmaking has become more feminist and that he's been surrounded by stronger women in his life. Hell yeah. And I think just culturally, like we've become maybe more accustomed to women in the military and like just in films being, uh, taking on these roles. But, uh, he was, he got criticism early on in some of his, uh, films, like in Road Warrior, the second Mad Max movie, the uh, main bad guys are like gay lovers, and this mm-hmm. and he was attacked. He was attacked because the because he was showcasing gay men as villains, but it was like, well, that's only you know that's not the thing that made them bad. That's just like that's something fair. they're doing in the wasteland because there aren't any women in their tribe. <laughs> I mean, fair. It's more, it feels will, more like I a prison say- relationship in the wasteland. Yeah, they're like uh, they're prison gay. Oh God. <laughs> but there's also like I feel like especially in the 90s there was like a very robust kind of bench of like gay villains specifically yeah like especially if we look back at like <laughs> any of the classic Disney movies I mean right. it's just it's like a drag bar at, like bench like I don't and what's funny is that like almost everyone I know now is gay. So like, it didn't work. Whatever Disney was trying to like do to be That's like, right. this is bad. It's like, everybody's really into like, looking like Ursula, looking like <laughs> Like, this is not, it didn't work, but there was a lot of gay villainy happening. Yes. <laughs> so I do understand that it's, he's probably just part of like a larger conversation that was happening around all of that. Um, yeah. Uh, but but going back to this guy, the uh, gasoline man, the yes. fact that he's got those nipple clamps is uh, you just know. a fun treat <laughs> to wonder about. Does yeah. it ever come into play at all? Sure, sure. He's getting his feet pampered later in the movie. Yeah, his big gout feet. Mm-hmm. I did see. Also, I caught a detail that one of the gas pedals was like a foot, like a from a shoe store measure your foot oh yeah thing which i thought was fun and interesting to be like oh, i was so obsessed with how big his feet are yeah, yeah. <laughs> right maybe it's interesting weird He's... little like detail that art department was like oh yeah <laughs> yeah well the details this film lends itself to repeated watching because mm-hmm. you, can, you can view it every time you view it you'll see another detail you'll see the insides, the cabs of the cars are beautifully decorated. Yep. Uh, the placement of every weapon, um, all the knickknacks, all the jewelry, everything people are wearing. All the all like weird meaning. bubbles and boils and scars on the different war boys that get like three seconds of yelling something at another one. And you see, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy had staples up his face that I didn't notice. Yeah. Yeah. Because I watched it or whatever. <laughs> Slit looked like a maniac um, Christian Bale. <laughs> That's the name. Yeah. That was the name. I think of that that war boy who had the uh, oh yeah Glasgow smile. Yep. Yeah. Uh, hence, hence the name Slit. Slit. Yeah. From, from slide to side, and he. Uh, so yeah, and you brought up like the um, 
the slang that these yeah. that they use, the colorful language in this movie. And I always wondered, is that just how people in Australia talk? <laughs> or did, <laughs> no. <laughs> George, like, I just imagine Australians hey, no. being like, oh, <laughs> if you can't stand up, you can't do war. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, I mean, some of it is like Norse mythology, like Valhalla. I will ride in Valhalla. That's like old Viking mythology of like the yep. warrior gods go to that heaven and they, it's like, you know, that yeah. also, yeah, that V that they make, the war boys make that symbol the when same. they hold their hands together. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually supposed to represent the V, the V6 engine because they are, um, they find that to be the most uh, powerful, you know, entity in their, in their universe. So that, yeah, I, I, I thought it was like a Valhalla thing, but song. it was a, a, a V6. Uh, so they're big on engines. Yeah, there was like, I had the subtitles on this time when I watched it, and I'd almost never do that. And um, they were yelling V8. Oh, V8, right, V8, and, sorry. And I was like, at, I mean, at first I was like, the vegetable? Is it because they- The vegetable juice? On nutrients, or- They're walking sideways. <laughs> and I was like, no, I think it's a car thing. It's definitely yeah. a car thing that I don't understand. Okay, cool. No, I V8. love it. They, they, they all yeah. had high octane, crazy blood. They wanted to yes. die historic and not die soft. Yeah. Uh, that historic um, on the Fury Road. And what was it? Uh, what was it? Um, Furiosa says we'll fang it, which I guess is uh, okay. Well, it's time to like fight on the road as opposed to run away. I guess so. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then if things are cool, they're organic. <laughs> and if you fail, mediocre. Sure. So, which is like a nice, and nice way of saying fail. The Chrome witnessed me. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool little aspect that I didn't that's really, cool, I mean. I love that. Yeah, like the euthanasia, basically, you're just, it, it's it's so they just die, uh, rel, you know. You get a little hopped up, on, Hopped up on goofballs. <laughs> um, it's, just, I did, I, it's also such a cool visual. Like, Yeah, I, it's awesome. There's just something about that that I was like, why haven't other sci-fi things done this before? Yeah. Like, it seems really, like, cool and specific. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is the religion of incel school shooters, oh, whatever Immortan Joe's religion, because it's a it's a religion for dudes that aren't gonna get any play in this life. Yeah, you know, they uh, the only thing that they have is the glory of the afterlife and dying well here, and they're yeah. all born dead because they have radioactive blood. Yeah, they're all riddled so, riddled yeah. with <laughs> disease and cancer and yeah, little little yeah. baby Max Nux. Has uh, he's got his two little growths on his neck that he uh, I forgot what he calls them, but he affectionately has named his tumors. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, he has. And uh, so yeah, that and, and he I feel like he's a he's an interesting character in this too. The film, Nux, kind yeah. Of, um, it is he has a transformation in this. A, a, like among the heroes, I'd say we've got Furiosa, Max, Nux. The um, surviving wives, women, the wives. Yeah, I wonder what happens to them at the end of this as well. Yeah, I mean, I think like what's also really interesting, just bringing up Nux, is like yeah. he's the only one that has any sort of traditional like sh like story arc in terms of like change. Like he literally watches right. his god die. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I mean, 
God, what a fucking moment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the rest of them are like, yeah, yeah, fucking good. He's dead. And, like, Zoe Kravitz spits on him. But he's, like, literally like, that was my <laughs> God, and now he's dead. Like, I mean, he's the only one that goes through any kind of, like, meaningful change. But it was kind of nice to see that could happen to the other war boys maybe yeah yeah they're all they're all uh, victims in this um system as well and that yeah. they have been indoctrinated from birth uh as war pups and the only thing that they have is uh this idea that they'll have an afterlife yeah and just to see how like even just the slightest bit of like nurturing and like like allowance of vulnerability like completely turns him around and like sucks the violence out of him in a way sometimes people just need to feel love sometimes yeah (laughs) somebody just needs like a hug and to be told like is you're okay like (laughs) if you want to talk about it like (laughs) i feel like that's all they did for him and it changed his whole like worldview so the mirror to the war boys then is these these women who are prisoners who wear chastity belts and live in this harem uh, mm-hmm. in a Morton Joe's tower. And they're in a, vault. in a vault. They have like an old nan type uh, woman who uh, keeps them, um, yeah. I guess, in comfort. And I guess she probably maybe teaches has, them. Sure, sure. The secret, the esoteric ways of, uh, of the matriarchy, mm-hmm. because they are still indoctrinated with these, with, with almost a different religion yeah. than the uh than a morton joe's warrior religion right they uh value seeds they value life almost to an extreme where like they look down on any on any violence you know any killing like they loathe um max for his use of guns and even (laughs) when they meet the older women uh from the wasteland they're like why do you have a gun right you know so also like i think um a product of their sheltering of the fact that they have been locked away inside that they haven't had to get their hands dirty yet you right. know as part of it um i also found it really interesting that the nan character has like script written all over her body she has like tattoos literally all over her skin of like very small writing which i found very weird and interesting <laughs> Does that have anything to do with the uh, previous Mad Maxes, or is that just no? Like, I think it's just uh, mis- so- <laughs> mysterious. <laughs> Maybe she's just got a lot of information, and they don't have <laughs> they don't have uh, external hard drives anymore. So <laughs> she writes it down to remember. Yeah, you need to make sure that it's all there. And then if she passes away, I mean, this is morbid, but then they could take her skin and put it up on the wall and like read yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The idea of like pa- I thought it had something to do with like passing wisdom. This sort of like teaching thing that she was like the gatekeeper of like what what used to be in some ways yeah she's the she's the last one that knows how to grow the seeds yeah maybe in the in the in the uh immortan joe's limited agricultural hanging gardens yeah and that also reminded me a little bit of snowpiercer yeah which is another one we've got to cover here in our uh, dystopian series love bong joon ho a not so distant dystopian future. It's, I think, a little less sophisticated than this, to be honest, Snowpiercer. Um, and I think he did a lot of things just to be creepy in that. In, yeah. <laughs> some ways. 
you know? Um, but I think Parasite was a, a much better takedown of society. When we, uh, what are your favorite scenes? What's a favorite scene that you have in uh, Fury Road? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think I think actually one of my favorite scenes was when they meet the women. Like, first of all, how how they have like a woman that's naked and and like screaming and crying. And she goes up to her and is like, hello, I'm with you. It's fine. And then yeah. she like gets dressed and then they meet all of the older wives and they go like, the green place you passed through. And then like, as an audience member, you remember the fact that like Max didn't know the word for tree anymore or something or Nux did it, <laughs> and that there was a dead tree. And it's like, oh, fuck, there's no green place. And then their decision to like turn around and try to take the Citadel. And that's yeah. like my favorite parts of the movie because i was just like this is fucking nuts how long was that naked woman up on that pole uh waiting as bait and so did they many. have suntan <laughs> lotion for her because that's all i was thinking was like did she bring a water bottle up there is she hydrated <laughs> she's got to stay moisturized they must have honestly and uh, and then seeing those women uh, drive down on the motorcycles was so cool. I think this is the first movie I've seen where you've got a bunch of old ladies, older women, yeah. uh, on on Harleys with uh, with weapons, being badasses. And George Miller has always had like older women in these movies, like with guns, but they they've been ineffective in the past. And oh, in this okay. one, they're kicking ass, That's which good. is so cool. Um, what was Tina Turner's role in uh, Beyond she was, Thunderdome? She was the villain. She was uh, <laughs> the head of Bartertown in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. So she was the Immortan Joe of that film. In that one, weird. And I think in each of these, uh, the villain represents kind of like a different perversion of a post scarcity of a scarcity society. Yeah, like Tina Turner is in charge of Bartertown, where everybody has to have something to trade. So it's also like a hyper capitalist mm. world. Like if you don't have stuff, then you're out. Right. You know, so if there's no charity in Bartertown, this was also my favorite scene or series of scenes. Yeah. Was Furiosa realizing that there was no Greenland. Yeah. And it, it reminded me of her breakdown when she like walks into the desert and kneels. It's so good. It's so dramatic, but it's just. It well reminds done. me of Charlton Heston in Planet of the Apes when he is riding along the coast and he sees that uh, he actually is on Earth. It's just the future because there's uh, the Statue of Liberty is buried in the sand. And it's like that moment of hopelessness where mm -hmm. you know it's over and there's yeah. nowhere to go. Like uh, like Elias, Willem Dafoe's character in Platoon. <laughs> At the yeah, end when he gets shot. So sad. Hmm. Um, but this is where the film goes from being sort of an escapist, uh, like feminist film in that it's that where up until this point, Furiosa and the the women that she's with, the prisoners, they think that they can just leave all men behind and go off to a green place. And the strategy now becomes, you can't run away from society. You yeah. have to go back and blow it up. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, you, you have you, to change it. Yes. Yeah. 
yeah. change it is better. I think that the, yeah. And I think, I think like the idea being like also a little bit um, that, yeah, there's no like other side. It just is going to have to be a different version of what you know in a lot of like ways, I think. Like the idea that also being like, yeah, that they're that they're not just in it for them anymore when they're heading back. They're like kind of in it for everyone and they're gonna have to be responsible for all of these people if they go back and they take it over like they want to. Um, and it's not just like, well, our lives will be better. Now it's like, well, we have to genuinely try to make this whole thing different. Right, and or or they would replicate. Yeah, they would replicate Immortan Joe. That's like what the, the tyrant, the hero yeah. becomes a tyrant most of the time once they take over. Right. You know, you're cool during the revolution. And then after the revolution, it, it's really hard to manage everybody. You can't, <laughs> yeah. just, you can't just liquidate everyone right. that you don't like. I read, integrate them. I read somewhere that they were asking what, what the character arc for Furiosa would be afterwards. And that he, George Miller said that he envisioned her more of as a, a, a tyrant in the future at post this film which i thought was interesting oh that is interesting so. yeah well because it, it leads power to like grabs a more interesting dramatic arc mm-hmm. for a sequel is yep. to have you can't you don't nobody wants to see the happy ending where right. there's the utopia right which i mean i think yeah he was kind of hammering that home i mean i saw a lot of like environmental uh undertones in this movie. oh definitely um and then the next like so apparently they've he wrote a, a second film during this one called Wasteland or, a, you know, they, they hadn't, they had Tom Hardy sign off on three sequels, but they've had a, a huge issue with production for whatever reason. Obviously now they're not making any headway, but um, so they, they do have something lined up, but uh, I'm curious to see, you know, where they go from there. I mean, this is a, one of those movies where I, you know, it's going to be difficult to top it thematically, but yeah, with the, 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 the social landscape right now, there, there's a there's a lot. I mean, he, who knows what they might do, rewrites and changing everything else. But there's a lot of fodder. Yeah, definitely. A lot of avenues to explore with this. Well, yeah. uh, Sammy, did you have a favorite scene? I mean, honestly, the, the opening scene was I, to me, this movie is like one giant scene. Yeah. You know, and. and I think the way it's shot, I mean, also the, I mean, the, the film itself was shot sequentially, which is pretty rare when it comes to filming movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. So I thought that that oh, added to it. They had to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, almost like a one, you know, uh, like a, a rolling camera shot of a, ch- it's, it, it's like what Gabe said in the beginning, it was filmed as a chase. Right. Until, until the very last half hour when they actually double back, but that's also a chase. It's also itself. a chase. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the opening scene just sets the tone perfectly. So, I mean, that's that's my favorite, but I can't think of a scene Do you that mean I when, he's, when he's try- when he's up getting branded? Yeah, I mean, just from the from the opening to the, the back shot of him standing there to him eating the lizard tube. I guess the, the scene ends when he essentially gets caught on that swing and he gets pulled back in. Mm. Like, when you know that that scene, that's yeah. sort of the definitive end for that specific part, but... I mean, that was my favorite because my jaw actually dropped. I was sitting in a theater by myself and I was like, holy shit, this yeah. is going to be awesome. I definitely remember being like, once we got to that part, I was like, oh, I'm in. Yeah. Like, I wasn't sure I was going to like this movie, but whatever the fuck is happening, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's also the, the use of color in the film, I think, is incredible because he, he kind of went out of his way to uh, add a lot of like color as far as like the, um, 
the differences in people's dress, essentially. He mm -hmm. wanted something to shine out, like to take away from the dystopian backdrop and like the completely barren wasteland that, you know, the landscape. Yeah. And that was like a purposeful move. Like it was actually like weirdly colorful. It was very oversaturated in a way. But, Absolutely. And I think that was, correct me if I'm wrong, Gabe, I think that, but he initially wanted to release it in black and white. And the studio was like, fuck no. <laughs> then he said, okay. And because all of it was kind of shot to essentially go black and white, it's it gives you this weird, crazy oversaturation that is like interesting. Cause I then they did a special release of the black and white version that um I got to see. And it feels like a different movie. In, in some ways, but in other ways, like the oversaturation kind of mimics the energy that you get from the black and white. The black and white just feels a little bit more like void-like, I think. Like the, the landscapes feel like, I don't know, they feel different. The light feels very different. Yeah, I, I like the, um, so with, with the earlier Mad Max films, the aesthetic feels a little bit more real uh, there's a realism to to the shots, even though, I mean mm. it's fantastical, but it just it's all it feels like real light. Um, it doesn't feel overly uh, saturated and with color. It's almost muted and dusty, and very uh, drab. And this movie just pops every frame. You can freeze, and it feels like a comic book strip, which it it, it was all storyboarded ahead of time. And yeah, the use of color is uh, is powerful in this. Um, I'd say like my favorite colorscape is the uh, scene when they're driving through the night and the bullet farmer is chasing them through the swampy wasteland that used to be the green space. And the water's all poisoned. The water is sour. The water and there's is that sour. one, one dead tree there. And, the, and when with the, the car gets stuck in, the, uh, in this like blue uh, abyss, you know, the landscape is just like mm -hmm. all fog and blue. And I thought that um, this could have been the most boring movie ever because it's all one set. It's all one. It's like, okay, we're going to drive through the desert. And yet George Miller was able to cut the desert up into these different, very interesting um, sort of, I don't want to say set pieces, but settings. So mm -hmm. like the red storm. It's like, yeah. you're, it's like being in the eye of a storm on Mars. Yeah. And then you yeah. go from there to like this extreme blue and them shooting that at night. It's beautiful. Yeah. I also really love the shot and how long they wait and they take on Max coming out of the sand after they go through the wall of dust. Yeah. And because it takes a while. And so for a minute, you're like, is that a landscape? And then you realize it's somebody's head. And then he like erupts from the sand. Mm -hmm. it's, that's an awesome shot too. Like uh, some, and it was in a video essay. They said that that's uh, Max rising like a phoenix from the ashes. So, but I did. That's that uh -huh. scene's burned into my head. I think yeah, about that's a just good that moment in the movie. Also, the soundscape of this movie is super specific and awesome. And there are multiple times where your ears ring along with Max's when yeah. like. Um, Furiosa takes the shot um, over his shoulder and she goes don't breathe and then after she takes the shot and shoots out the light on the bullet farm guy's car his ear starts to ring because yeah. that becomes the sound 
And like, yeah, I think that the, the way that they did the sound with all of the engines and the music, obviously the guitar guy and like the drums kind of cutting up some of the engine sounds <laughs> sometimes. So you're not just hearing like the whole fucking hey, movie. Can- <laughs> it's really nice. <laughs> That guitar was actually real. It, it was a hundred. The, the 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 person that played so the guitar player was an actual like a like a famous a studio musician in, uh, in in Australia, and he said that the guitar was one hundred and thirty two pounds, and that it actually <laughs> did shoot gas like gas flames out. That he worked with a whammy bar, which is awesome. Oh shit! That's <laughs> that was awesome. the coolest thing I read. Um, That's amazing. Pick- to piggyback on what you said, like even like the more subtle sound they use, like like one of my another one of my favorite scenes is when Max confronts uh, the war rig for the first time and sees the wives and sees Furiosa. Yeah, how he shakes, you know, the chain that's attached to him, like that. Uh-huh. Just those little small subtle noises it makes it just adds so much. It's almost like a muted backdrop, and then you just hear like the, the, the him shake the chain vigorously. He basically speaks in grunts for a third of the time. Like he has 52 total lines, including grunts. So like they made a, like a, a very calculated effort. And yeah. Tom Brady like kind of has a thing for those kinds of roles. Well, I'm sorry, what was that? He has a thing for those kinds of roles, like where it's eyeball acting, where you don't even really yeah. see his mouth, let alone he like talks, you know? Shout out to I was going to say, I mean, I, 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 mean, I yeah. Shout out to Dunkirk. I like I, also Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Similar, yeah. I love that movie. Also, one of my it's a good one. Talk um, about sound in a war movie. I mean, I like Tom Hardy, and I don't think a lot of actors could have uh, done as well no. in that role as he as he. He's did. so he physical. That. He is. Uh, yeah. And 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 the physicality of this movie, it's an action movie, and it also has the most frustrating slapstick Jackie Chan style uh, <laughs> fight choreography. In, in that scene, like uh, where Sammy, where he confronts the war rig for the first time, mm-hmm. and he's got Nux on his back, like chained to him, and yeah. he has a car door, and uh, Furiosa <laughs> starts shooting at him, and he's like shielding himself with the car door. Yeah, like every fight that they have, like the the prisoners, the ladies are like pulling his chain back. There's this constant back and forth, where yeah, uh, that's. It is Jackie Chanish. That's such a good good point. That's I didn't really funny. think about it that way, but it is. It looks heavily choreographed. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Fun fact to bring it back to rom com town. Uh-huh. The stunt people that played for the stunt people for Charlize Theron and for Tom Hardy fell in love when they shot this movie and got married. Oh, I thought you were going to say they wrote Which best my best friend's wedding. No, <laughs> that the timeline <laughs> did not work out for that, <laughs> but. They, yeah, apparently those stunt performers fell in love. There you go. Which means- Found love in a distant place. Yeah. While they were pretending to punch each other in the desert. There you go. It's pretty nice. You know, that reminds me of Quentin Tarantino again, giving his stunt people uh, acting roles in his movies. Oh, what's her name? Um, Uma Uma Thurman's stunt, stunt double. I think her name is Zoe. Yeah, and she's like maybe Australian. She's she's Australian and she's- She's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's in Death Proof, predominantly. Yeah. Very it's like if her and Stuntman Proof. Mike actually fell in love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the spinoff movie. So fun. Some people uh, are the busiest. I love them. Well, um, we're running low on time. Let's. What are your? Let's get some final thoughts about this movie. You know, would you recommend it? What are your? What do you love about it the most? Uh. Also, who killed the world? I mean, the, right. the lines that come out of the 
the wives are really amazing. Um, yeah, I think that like, it's just a really rich movie. Like I can definitely watch it so many times and it's still, cause there's also no way to remember every part of a chase scene that detailed either. You know, from like the spears that explode to like the way that they kind of bounce themselves back and forth on those like, you pole know, vault. pole vault things, which yeah. is crazy looking and amazing. Um, yeah, I think that it's like, it's it's a really rich myth in and of itself, which is really cool and deals like with patriarchy and environmentalism and kind of takes you through it's basically like one man's journey going through every single echelon of one society in like a couple days <laughs> and then peacing out <laughs> after it is like it, he's somewhat involved in their revolution and yeah. breaking down of all of it it's funny like max so is max is the energy that you need to um, stage a revolution against the oppressors, but he also is ephemeral. He has to leave. Yeah, because in a way, like, Charlize Theron was going to do what she was going to do. Yeah. Regardless if he rolled up and started helping, you know? Right. But I think that it was also important that, like, Mad Max, the most, like, masculine, crazy, maniacal figure, begins the movie having, like, a total breakdown of all of that. Like, he has no rights he has no agency he's a blood bag and like <laughs> then in order in while regaining agency is witnesses other people trying to regain their agency and like goes on the ride with them yeah and then pieces out instead of because he knows yeah. he's got ptsd like there's no way that <laughs> he has so he much ptsd be... <laughs> yeah he would there's not so be much ghost a... <laughs> children popping up <laughs> In the middle of a fist fight for him. Yeah, they'd be this like, the... do you want to be part of the council? And he's like, I'm sorry, my child keeps screaming in my ears. I have to <laughs> I have to go back out into the wasteland now. This is the first time they gave him a full name, I think. Rakitansky, which is an odd oh, name. Oh, they, uh, they called him that in the first film, but it's like one of those things where it never comes up again. Right. Yeah. You like only hear it once in the first movie, and then it's in the credits. It's, yeah, and then it's in the, that, that, that's it. It's true. But he um, is, I yeah. I, I was just saying that I, I I didn't know that they released it in black and white, and I tried to find out where to watch that, but it's almost impossible. They call it black and chrome. Yeah. Oddly enough. Um, you know, so brand everything something. these days. I know, yeah, when 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 did you see it in black and white, Gabe? Because I saw it, it, it was like a special screening in Times Square, kind of like three-day-only bullshit that Liv got a hold of tickets for us. Oh, I think I, I think I rented it on uh, Amazon a couple years ago. Oh. Yeah, or or Voodoo, which is the mm -hmm. another site that I use online to do this. But uh, I think that this film is you can put it on a projector with no sound and still be captivated by the images. You really yeah. don't need any words because even the words that do matter are written in graffiti on like the, uh, the the women's prison cell. Mm -hmm. you know, like, we, <laughs> we are didn't not kill things. Them. Yeah, it's like, okay, the movie's about like, we're not private property, we're individuals, we're people, we have agency. And yeah, our babies will not be warlords, yeah. Yeah, who killed the world, I get it, mm -hmm. you know? And then everything else you don't really need words for because it is a visual poem. 
and uh, you can watch it. It's astonishing that you can watch this both in black and white and watch it in color and still get um, a meaningful experience. Uh, I could have a little kid watch this movie and not have to, you know, it's got mature themes, but as a child, you can watch this and still be like, I'm watching a car chase. And yet as an Mm -hmm. adult, you can watch this at any age and get something different from it, be it uh, ecological concerns, peak oil concerns, um, tensions between masculinity and femininity, yeah, uh, the patriarchy, it all of all the, the film works on every level. And that's yeah. what makes it this sort of, it feels like an eternal epic poem that draws on these myths, but mm-hmm. either Christian or Viking and puts them together where like you can draw comparisons between the Old Testament and this film. Mm-hmm. The and mother's like, milk, like all of that was also like some pagan mythology too. Right, yeah. Totally. There's, uh max's giving of his blood and his name to Mm -hmm. furiosa um max's uh redemption his sort of like her being stabbed also in the side furiosa that was like a christ biblical reference yeah yeah of like the christ being stabbed in the side absolutely Um, yeah and uh and i really liked you know i used to love stories about people escaping places to try mm-hmm. to find a new, a new space to settle. But I realized that that's actually just part of our settler colonial mentality. There are mm-hmm. new spaces to colonize. Uh, anytime you move to a new place, you're displacing someone else and killing the indigenous people there. So the real struggle is to turn around and to take your own citadel. <laughs> There's nowhere to escape. There's no Gabriel. suburbs. There's no you trying to say going back to the suburbs, Gabe. I hope you know that. <laughs> Gabe, are you, are you trying to not say happening. hope? I'm not taking my Citadel. Uh-uh. They can, they can <laughs> <it>. <laughs> you're, you're moving. You're not, right. They're, right. The, well, the suburbs were that in the first place. That was white flight. Yeah. That was abandoning the cities. It's true. That was saying, that was being a Morton Joe, you know? So you're, you're saying home is where the heart is, Gabe. Home <laughs> Yeah, you have to transform your home. Mm. It's adorable. Fill it. Yeah, yeah. This movie's all about love and all about nesting. (laughs) Nesting. (laughs) It's really this movie. Every interior decorator should see this movie. Great. Perfect. Yeah. How about you, Sam? You have any uh, final thoughts on this film? Um. No, I mean, I think I think we covered. uh, Yeah, I mean, again, it is. It's my it's my favorite uh, it's my favorite action movie, and uh, I mean definitely my favorite George Miller movie. I know that seems odd. I forgot that he did uh, Witches of Eastwick, which is also great. But this is um, yeah. I mean, he also I, did I, Happy Happy Feet. Don't forget that he did do Happy Feet. Yes, <laughs> I saw that. Um, Wait, is that did, a joke? Did he actually do Happy Feet? Yeah, he did Happy Feet. No, yeah, oh my. my- God. My man loves penguins, pigs, <laughs> witches, yeah. and post-apocalyptic road warriors. Mm-hmm. That's his this that's guy. his lame. It was a palate cleanser, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, ten years prior to this. Uh, like, I don't you know do, do what we... I enjoy tap dance and penguins. Tap dancing penguins. <laughs> they mate for life. Both of those movies. Uh, we just want to do way. something nice. <laughs> yeah. My kids. <laughs> they both gross $400 million at the box office, which is incredible. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I mean, this is honestly like to, to rate it at 10 out of 10 on, uh, across, on 10 out of 10 nipple clamps is what I would probably <laughs> give this movie. Um, it's stylistic, everything about it is, is awesome. The pacing, the story, uh, the, the fact that it is independent, independent of the other, of, of the franchise itself. Like you don't, there's, you don't need the backstory. I didn't really have one. Alex clearly didn't have one either, I think. And yep. it's unnecessary. You barely even need a background story. Like, you know, like a, there's a sparse background story for any of the characters and it's just like a perfectly executed movie. Like during the filming at South by South, or screening at South by Southwest, Robert Rodriguez stood up in the middle and goes, how the hell did you film this? Not even like raising yeah. his hand, he just stood up. Robert Rodriguez is also an, an incredible filmmaker. It just shows you it's like how how brilliant this yeah. film was. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think I think a lot of that is like what makes I don't know. I think nowadays, especially with all the technological things, like just doing things, like act like just actually driving a car through the desert is like yeah. wild to our eyes now. We <laughs> used to friggin' CG. I love, I mean, this is, I honestly, like, this is, uh, we've, we've now revisited two of my favorite movies of all time that I didn't realize how much I love them until rewatching them. We did Amadeus a few weeks back. Oh, I fucking love Amadeus. I mean, it could, that could be my, fa my favorite movie. My, one of my best friends time. worked on that play as his, oh, yeah. Um, as his thesis play. And I got to play Mozart's wife for like a second and just like ran on, got motorboated and ran off. Um, which is, you know, good for my education. You got what now? <laughs> <laughs> I got motorboated in a corset, Sam. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I didn't, I was like, <laughs> my mind didn't go there at all, but now I remember that scene. Because, <laughs> yeah, but we actually got, to, I actually got to meet F. Murray Abraham because he was doing a play at the Atlantic where we studied and, mm. um, he's the most silly guy in the world and is so sweet. Oh, silly, like in a good way. Yeah, like he's just cool. is, like so excited by theater still, and like it's just like we should all just memorize sonnets for fun. It keeps your brain warm, and we're like, okay. So he's like a super thespian. Yeah, like yeah. big time. Big as long time. as he doesn't proposition you to come to his office. No, uh, nothing like that. I didn't even work with him. Like he worked with Salieri style on it, and he was yeah, he was great. Interesting that it chose to leave the motorboat in the theatrical version, the theater, the theater yeah. version of the play. You know, yeah. You, go. you gotta start somewhere, I guess. Yeah, you just have to show that Mozart was like... A child? A like bit a, of a, a, yeah. A horny kid. A, a horny potty kid. boy. Yeah. It's truly, a horny kid, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. That's what, it's almost endearing in like a weird, ridiculous <laughs> way. It helped the music, I don't know. It's true, I mean, it did, yeah, it didn't hurt it. Oh, I have to give this movie one ding. You reminded oh, me, Alex. Uh -oh. I uh, detested the uh, double guitar playing ghoul. I did not okay. like the, the the heavy metal guitarist. You did? Oh, really? Loved it. Why? I loved him. I bet. I know. You two are, are more <laughs> juggalo than I am. That... Well, that's not, that's not, that's not fair. <laughs> no, I just... Uh, I, uh, but he reminded me too that artists often work for the oppressor, you know? Yeah. You, you, that's where the money is. <laughs> that's how you're, that's how you're tying it back to Mozart. Yeah. Both, Mozart. both Mozart and, yes. <laughs> what, which did you like better? Amadeus and his music or the double, double-necked guitar playing ghoul from Fury wow. Road? 
you know, I want you to dive question. into that for a second, though. What 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 is it about that? Because you called you call yeah, this why juggalos. Why do you like that? Oh, yeah, you I call think... this juggalos. So you got to you have to make a better a better case than some. I think uh, I barely know what a juggalo is. Than some weirdo yeah, that, backtracking. I thought that that was a weird um, character that seemed out of place in the world, no. for them to have an electric guitar player. And there's also... always military music. Yeah, they yes. had drummers. So I think, but the, it's, it's like a futuristic take on like a war band or like a yeah. you know, the, the drummers at the front line. But it was like, they a, don't have I thought radios it was cool anymore. There's no radio. And I can yeah. see maybe them having trumpets, uh, but I just. <laughs> You something of Trump, trumpets, absolutely. Oh, you wanted like a you wanted a wind a wood section. Game. I wanted like There's cannibals no brass. Play, playing saxophones. You know no, what I mean? No, 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 no. Yes, I wanted that Lost Boys saxophone <laughs> player to, to be at the, the front the of a truck. heavy metal guitar works with the gearhead moment. I think yeah, and the flames, the aesthetic, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I know more without. There's just something about it. And you all can have your opinions. How silly, I'm sorry, but how silly if like these cars are all coming at you and Morton Joe and then it's like. Yeah, like a, like a wind section. No. Hell yeah. An oboe. The flute. The, the, I don't the... want a flute solo. <laughs> a recorder, just like a straight up plastic recorder. Can yeah, I dude. insert a very, okay, speaking of. It shoots like a, like a lighter flame instead I of I was a... actually, I was Which... actually at NYU briefly taught by a man who did the flute solo for John Cena's original um, walkout song when he was like in the 90s. And there's a there's a hardcore flute solo in that, so I will I may have to take back my my derogatory flute. <laughs> I might have to take I, I might have to take back your uh, categorizing <laughs> Alex as a juggalo since you just broke out a '90s rep, a wrestling reference. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> I mean he he taught me at NYU. What am I supposed to do? Like I didn't right. like he was a professor there and was like in '90s I play flute. They call me. They say, "Do you know John Cena?" And yeah. and he was brought on to do a, a flute solo in the middle of a rock song for John Cena's walkout song. Hell so, yeah! I guess well, it I mean, can if, exist in some ways, but it's a very bizarre choice. I mean, Gabe, if that's your one ding, that's a you know. That's my only ding. I mean, this that's really nothing. Gets, this movie gets eleven out of ten chastity belts. This movie <laughs> is this is dope, and but it doesn't take away from the other Mad Max films. I really wholeheartedly appreciate either nostalgically or just because they're yeah. great. The first Mad Max and the second one. So, I feel like I learned. Yeah, they're all good. Mm -hmm. I feel like the one I with learned... Tina Turner's the hot mess. That's the the. Yeah, I heard that was bad. Yeah, that's weird. I feel like I learned a lot about um, Australian culture between this and like Wolf, <laughs> between this movie and Wolf Creek. Uh, that's kind of, it's kind of all you need to know and like sharks oh and God. stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Alex, did you want to give it a weird rating? <laughs> yeah, I would say I give it ninety nine seeds out of a hundred. All right, seeds. that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. I yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I think we all agree that everybody should watch this movie on a projector. And uh, <laughs> and we're so happy to have you back on the show. Thanks Alex, for having me again, guys. Thanks so much for for being here and, and yeah, recommending love, this. This was I love so, rewatching this movie. I am grateful for for getting to rewatch this. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll be back uh, next week. Um, Alex, is there anything that you'd like to plug before we go? Yes, the Ridiculous People podcast. Um, 
we've been on a little bit of a hiatus as things have been weird. We put out a pretty mega um, list of Black films to watch to help explain the protest movement uh, to listeners who just kind of want to watch movies and not really read the news. Um, so that's been out for a little while, but we're going to be ending our hiatus coming up this week. So you can follow us at a ridiculous pod or at um, my uh, social media at Alex Shan, A-L-U-X-S-H-A-N, and I will let you guys know when we have a new episode coming. We talk about current movies that have just come out or current shows that we're streaming and keeping an eye on and things like that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, yep, and you can find me at GabePacheco.com, and I have a weekly comedy show on Zoom every Wednesday at 9.30, Funhouse Comedy. Check that out. Also, I have a white-collar crime podcast called Ponzi Scream that I do with my friends David Bradley Eisenberg and Danny Feltz. You can check that out if you want to hear me talk about white-collar criminals. Um, For Eat, Pray, Judge, please rate, review, and subscribe. We love your feedback, and we love you. Aww. Aww. Home is where the heart is, Witness everybody. Me! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. Awesome. Thank you so okay. much. Bye. Bye. Thank you.